holy name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd playing a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, sleeping. And they laughed at him. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, you have been taken from death into life. You were lost and now you are found. You are blind and you see now. You were dead, and now you are alive. That is what the Lord has done to you, and that is what he has, uh, this is, uh, he has done this to you. Uh, where did he do this to you, and when did he do this to you? When did he take you from death and bring you into life, and from darkness into the light? He has claimed you in holy baptism. Do not question this whether you have been brought to life because you are baptized and there in holy baptism the lord united himself with you in a way that is inseparable you can't be taken away from him now now <clears throat> you might not care anymore uh, about your baptism you may not care that the lord has come to you and made you uh, a part of him and brought you into his life. But he does. He does. Uh, Jesus Christ most certainly cares that you were brought out of darkness in, into his marvelous light. And he most certainly cares that you died with him in a death like his. And he most certainly cares that you will be raised with him in a resurrection like his. You have been crucified with Christ and you cannot change that. He says all that about you. And then notice, he does not put conditions on this. He doesn't say, yes, if you really, really want it, I'll save you. Or if you really, really need it, I'll save you. If you really, really feel it or act like it, no. He simply saves you. He found you drowning out there, and he jumps in the water with you, and you both sink down to the bottom together. And then he brings you back to life. That has happened to you. This is most certainly true. And this gift of certainty, this is the greatest thing about the Lutheran Reformation. And you will find this certainty nowhere else in the whole entire world. Do you look to yourself for salvation? Well, if you do, and we all kind of do sometimes, right? Uh, it will always be in jeopardy if we're kind of just looking to ourselves and figuring out, you know, doing the math, seeing which way the scales balance. Because I will never believe as much as I am supposed to believe. I will never act exactly like who I have been created to be. There's a reason in the prayer today why we prayed for the Lord, the Lord to stir up the wills of your faithful people. 
because uh, we do need the Lord to stir up our wills, or, or we, we will be stagnant. Uh, dare I even say we will backslide. <laughs> I am justified, completely forgiven. Do I live like it? I mean, sometimes. Like I, I kind of think that I like to put in a little bit of an effort here or there, but, you know, inside, down here in my heart of hearts, I know that I don't. I kind of just do what's easy. Do I deserve this great gift that the Lord has given to me? Well, on my own account, no. But I am marked with the name of the living God, and this will not be and cannot be taken away from me. This grace is foolishness. This mercy is ridiculous, 100%. It is downright silly. You will find this nowhere else. Everywhere else in the world, you just get what you deserve. Work an hour, get paid for an hour. Even all the free government money that's out there now, uh, there's like still sort of qualifications attached to this, and, and you only get what you deserve when everyone gets kind of a little bit different here and there. But you do get what you deserve, and what is that? While the wages of sin is death, and uh, most of us have been working overtime uh, for that, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You see, you deserve nothing but death, and instead, the free gift is given to you, eternal life in Christ Jesus. So do you see how foolish that is? I was like, could the Lord get more out of you if we kind of did this all on some sort of points-based system of merit? I mean, could the church get more out of you if we said, well, you know, uh, you'll get more points of God if you, you know, maybe give more to the church or do more with the church. Maybe if there were uh, better scores and you would get better prizes, things like that. Is that how God works? Do this and then get this. Well, many have tried. And I don't, I don't know how exactly it works for them. My guess is that probably wouldn't even work either. Because here's the deal. Sinners are going to sin no matter what the prizes are. How do I know this? Well, two people were given the whole entire world, quite literally. And they decided they wanted something else. The people of Israel were brought through the desert, the barren wasteland, to the land flowing with milk and honey, and they decided it was too scary to even try living there. The Lord led these people by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. They heard the trumpet blast on the mountaintop. They saw the lightning on the mountaintop. They heard the commands. They received his food and his drink. 
and still they decided that they would be better off with a different God. And they decided this not only once, but repeatedly and ultimately to their destruction. And this is the same Lord who told them to rest on the seventh day. And still, what do you find? There's some guy gathering sticks out there. Come on, rest. See, God is not the problem. You are the problem. His law is wonderful and perfect. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just kind of daydream about what the world would be like if everyone actually just kept the Ten Commandments. And while I'm doing this, I covet some other country where I think maybe this would be easier to do than here. But the Lord does not abandon his unfaithful people. The Lord does not cast them aside. He does not leave them out there in the desert. He doesn't say, well, fine, have it your way. You're just going to starve then. No, the manna keeps coming, and the water continues to flow from rocks, rocks which apparently just follow them wherever they go. He does not shoo them away if their faith is not perfect, if they sin too much. He does not kick them out for forgetting all about him. He does not cast you out if you have questions. He will not forsake you and he will not forget about you. Not even when you are cold and dead and six feet under the ground. He will not forget about you even when no one else remembers your name or that you even existed. I mean, how many of us remember like our great-grandparents' names? Some of you guys are genealogy weirdos, and so you know some of that stuff. But how many of the people that you're related to a hundred years ago, how many of their names can you even know? I don't remember them. Jesus does. And he will remember you when he comes into his kingdom. Now, everyone clearly thinks that this is all idiocy. I mean, do you see in the story today, the world delights in death. Jesus is headed to raise a little girl from the dead. And the funeral has already gotten going. The checks are probably already being written. The flute players are there. They're playing their dirges. The crowd is wailing because, yeah, it's very sad. There's nothing sadder than this. A child has died. And don't you love what Jesus says when he gets to them? He doesn't say, hey, guys, take heart. Everything's going to be okay. He says, go away. Go away. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And what is their reaction? They laughed at him. And this is not laughter as in our psalm today. This is not laughter that will fill our mouths on the last day, that, we're, that uh, will be nothing but joy. 
This is a different word. This is not laughing with Jesus, but laughing at Jesus, the laughter that you don't like. They mocked Jesus. Go away, she's not dead, she's sleeping. He must be insane because death cannot be undone. And the unlovable cannot be loved. The sinners can't be forgiven. The forsaken can't be adopted, surely. Redemption is impossible. They laughed at him. And they would mock him again, laugh at him again, stripping him naked, putting a crown of thorns on his head. And they would laugh at him, nailing him to a cross. And even then, in the very face of death, Jesus is absolutely defiant. He's not worried about their jeers. He's not even worried about this little girl who has died. Because he has all things under his control and under his authority. All things were created through him and he sustains all things and all things are created for him. He is the beginning and the end of all things. That means a dead little girl. That means a woman who is suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. And that means you. In this mystic, cosmic reality has come down to you. And he has come through the crowds laughing at him, parting them, telling them to go away. And he comes right to you. And what do you have that Jesus wants? Well, even the sparrow finds a home in the house of the Lord. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. Even the dead find a home in the house of the Lord. Even the living, even you. So let them laugh. Better yet, tell them to go away. Celebrate death somewhere else. This is the kingdom of life. And tell your own laughter, your own doubts, your own mocking, your own worry that you aren't enough. Tell it to go away. Go away and never come back. Because you, you have been brought into the kingdom of Christ. You have been brought into this kingdom of Jesus in which you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, every single one of them. That is how it will be. And that is how we will be. So that is what we will do. We will receive this forgiveness, and this will be a place of forgiveness, a kingdom of forgiveness. You are forgiven, even though it seems totally insane.
even though it seems like you don't really deserve it, you are forgiven. And so you will also forgive. For this is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we fly no flags here, for here we have only the cross. This is his kingdom. And if we only touch his garment, we'll be made well. And we have reached out. We have seen him coming. And we know that he has healing that we can find nowhere else. And like that woman, we think that maybe we're too lowly. Maybe no one else cares about us. Or maybe he is too busy. He's on his way to do something, of course, something important to heal, to raise from the dead a ruler's child. But he hears, and he feels, and he turns to you, touches you, and gives himself to you. He says, hey, daughter, can have more than the hem of his garment. How about the body and the blood and all that he is? And there can be no doubt about it for you sons and daughters of this king. You have been brought into his kingdom. So thanks be to God. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.